Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. quite simple is that he's an octopus how quick can he be yeah fair, fair in the point. scheme of things you know if he starts chasing me up the stairs i think i've got a good 10 50 i could probably have a nap do you think by the time by the time it's slowly sludged up this if you look at octopus they're generally not known for being fast on land they can of no that's for sure yeah on land i think they are um somewhat sleepy uh, but i've seen some amazing videos of them absolutely shifting underwater underwater is different because they've got the siphon thing kind of going on but i mean and they can like jettison themselves and all sorts of tricks that we could outfox them by being on land of course i always heard that theory that the fact that the octopuses space octopuses got so annoyed at their ability to move on land that they then became the daleks because every that, single time I've seen an every single time they've always broke cracked open a da, a Dalek. There's always been some kind of octopus, kind of sitting there looking perturbed because it's like, you've got stairs, and that was that was a joke that the new Doctor Who ruined because they they gave the ability for Daleks to actually start to fly and float, which I always annoyed me. Yeah, I love the idea that they're like, yeah, we're just gonna. We can't, you know, move correctly on land, so we're going to encase ourselves in this canister just to be able to get around. I like that idea. They are delicious. Um, I do yes. have a, I have a dog here. What is it you want? Because <laughs> he's like, usually he's like, oh, I like calamari. You like octopus. Hey, if there's an octopus coming up the stairs, you'd be right at it. You'd be chewing <laughs> away. Yeah. Um, is Cosmoctopus, are you in conju- working in conjunction with somebody now? Is that with, is it? It's Lucky Duck. So Lucky Duck what Games, um, who say so they've done Chronicles of Crime and yeah. a couple of other bits and pieces, and they've recently teamed up with Carl Flame. and Alchemy for Flamecraft. Flamecraft, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, stunningly so, looked good game. Yeah, yeah. I was at Essen uh, demoing Cosmoctopus next to the Flamecraft tables, and it was yeah, it's a beautiful looking game, very exciting. Who doesn't like cute dinosaurs doing, you know, tasks within a town setting? It's always going to go down well, isn't <laughs> that's it? Such a niche, that's such a niche thing, isn't it? <laughs> that's like the thing that the pilot asked the little boy on airplane. Yeah. <laughs> you ever been to a village where the dinosaurs are doing little tasks and they're little coloured? <laughs> you ever, be, ever been to a Turkish prison? Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Okay, let's, let's just do an intro. Because um, <clears throat> this is kind of gonzo. It's me and it's Mr. Chris Kingsnorth. And we're just doing the kind of the... Um, the kind of the gonzo approach to this thing, which means we're just going to start talking. And guys, you know who we are. So, um, Chris is from uh, Paper Fort Games, which practically sounds rubbish, 
But from an imagination point of view, sounds rather fantastic. I can't imagine a paper fort kind of doing very, very well in any type of battle situation. But we can get into that. That's what we'll do. But uh, this is We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. Thank you for joining today, um, you lovely people who are listening right now. It is the... the <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not going to measure it by months. I was potentially going to measure it by what Prime Minister we're on. Because um, it's... <laughs> or that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but let's not, let's not, let's not, let's not do that. Um, you know, because if we're unlucky, we might just get a Boris for Christmas. Um, but thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is quite simply because there's uh, there's not enough podcasts out there about board games. Um, I've looked, like, in a drawer. I mean, I've not looked on iTunes or anything like that. And the second reason that we do this is because... Um, there's not really that many Scottish people doing board game podcasts anymore. We've got the Giant Brain who do fabulous news, but on a big shout out to um, the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast who um, quite recently hung up their spurs and uh, moved on to, to greater things. So uh, fabulous podcast, listen to the back catalogue. But today, I've got to do an intro. Um, no, I mean, let's not, because everything could go south. But there's no way it's going to go south. No. You know, it's never going to go south. Not when I've got a man who's the ruler of the North. That's his name. It's Chris King's North. He's coming here from Paper Fort Games. So I've got a king in his Paper Fort who's going to be talking about a game about an octopus. I don't know how those things kind of tie together, but it's, it's a game that's not only about an octopus... We've already discussed they're absolutely delicious, but it's uh, it's 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 an it's an octopus that's in the stars. If there was that new James Waite telescope or whatever it's called, they'd be looking out at the stars and they would see this eight-legged thing flailing about, like some kind of cosmic cosmoctopus. There you go. That's a good there name. Go. There you Is go. That- that I, you know, I think we should change the name of the game to Cosmoctopus. <laughs> Rather than the tale of the eight leg, the eight legged space creature that that, I, that, that has a mouth in the middle of its legs. You know? I knew I was struggling to fit it on the box for some reason. That would be it. <laughs> I was like, that was wondering because, like, when you open the box, it's like one of these things. It's like opening like an expansion pack for Slender. Splendor. You like open the box. There's like a corner of it that's got stuff, and the rest of it's just space. That's and it, when yeah. you sent me the prototype and it was three and a half feet long but it was only three and a half inches thick and it was like this is a game about an eight-legged creature that's based in space i'd wondered if you'd actually asked bez to get involved with the naming of the game if you'd you'd called her up and you'd say bez i need a name and bez had just reached into her mind and says it's an eight-legged creature that's based in space that's got a mouth in the middle of its tentacles and then you went well that's a good idea for the box um (laughs) how are you are you well yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm. Uh, it's chilled off a bit, isn't it? I imagine for you, it's been fairly chilly, you know, for a while now because you're a bit uh, further up than me. But um, it's reached. I think it's reached. It's reached that strange because I've got a dog, um, and it's reached that strange point where you're kind of in the middle between breaking out the heavy jacket and wearing the woolen hat. So sometimes I'll wear a lighter jacket, but I'll wear the hat, and halfway through the walk, I'll need to maybe take the woolly hat off. But I don't want to go out without a hat on because otherwise I get halfway around and I feel quite cold. So it's kind of in yeah. the middle. So you are definitely heading into that, you know, um, there'll be Halloween coming up where up in Scotland we go guising. 
um, <coughs> which is obviously what everybody else seems to call trick-or-treating, which is stupid, because yeah. um, <coughs> it's guising, because it comes from the word disguising, which is why it's ah. called guising, you see. Makes a lot of so sense. Makes a lot more sense. Makes yeah. a lot more sense than trick-or-treat. Yeah. What's that all about? Get out of it. Um, you know, so we first spoke, well, we first spoke, you graciously contacted us back in August, so... Um, and that was to say, look, this is where the game is. We're going to be doing, we're going to be bringing out Cosmo Octopus. Um, since then, um, you've been moving on from dealing with eight-legged creatures to dealing with uh, creatures with web feet <laughs> in the form of Lucky Duck. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand that obviously being a pub, being a publisher, being a publisher by yourself has kind of certain kind of fears about it. Is something going to get created? Is something going to get kind of published? Am I going to get it out there? You're going to be running it to Kickstarter. Is it going to kind of work? How did the how did the Lucky Duck kind of situation kind of come about? So it was um, at UKG, actually. So not really in the grand scheme of things that, that long ago. Mm-hmm. And Bree, who is um, one of Lucky Duck's reps, came round to uh, the stand and saw Cosmoctopus there. Um, and we said, oh, we'll have a chat about this in, in the future. And got back in contact. Um, and we said, oh, should we, you know, let's have a play of the game, see how mm. it goes, uh, send us some information across. And I teed up a a call with, with Bree and one of the other, um, you know, within Lucky Duck, one of the, the heads of department, Scott Morris, who's recently come across to them. Um, and we played a game of Cosmoctopus. And mm. Scott said at the end of the game that was fabulous i usually really go hard on engine building games and that was absolutely brilliant um and so it kind of went from there really they were very keen to to get the the game on their catalog and so what's going to happen is we'll be running the kickstarter yeah and then post kickstarter for your standard retail distribution they're going to be handling that so we're hoping that it'll be coming to you know, game store near you worldwide, regardless of kind of where you are, which is an incredible, incredible thing to to have been selected for. Um, and also is lovely because it means that we can be very confident that, you know, Kickstarter and, and ongoing, this game's going to become a, a reality and actually get out there into the, the big wide world and be on, be on real physical shelves. So does, <clears throat> does the Kickstarter help decide whether or not the game gets created or is the game going to be out there in a retail format and the Kickstarter allows you to kind of put something out there with a bit more kind of bells and whistles. So the way that we're doing it is that basically the Kickstarter will be like, that's what's going to make the game get off the ground. Cause as a small right. publisher, that's how we have to kick it off. It's just the yeah. way we have to do it. Um, getting in on the Kickstarter will get you some Kickstarter stuff that will never come to the final retail that Lucky Duck are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually it will come in its retail form, which will be, you know, a very playable game. It'll be all the same content, just be some mm-hmm. of the um, upgrades won't be there um, out into the world. So the Kickstarter was always going to happen and the Kickstarter was going to happen even before Lucky Duck came on board it's just yeah. now it's it's kind of nice to to have a company that's you know got a good reputation and they you know very great, friendly to work with and seem like lovely people kind of in the background fighting our corner if you like and kind of saying yeah we think this is a great game too um, yeah. and especially as flamecraft's just come out and that's obviously been a, a smash hit to then be chosen within 
you know with that in in the background as well is a is an honor so so yeah it's uh it's kind of just a great thing to to have some backup for later basically i'm surprised that they're direction of late because of late they were they seem to be heading down the kind of a lot of the hybrid kind of route so you had like your destinies and your chronicles of crime um so they seem to be doing a lot of phone phone app games now i'm okay with phone app games i think they're okay um i sometimes find them a bit i don't i've got the phone here but i sometimes want the kind of the phone kind of (laughs) In over the over there, kind of like, yeah. especially if I'm playing with kind of other people. So when they were started yeah. doing things like Flamecraft, and then when I saw that they were taking, I was like, okay, so they're just kind of doing the kind of the horizontal, kind of expanding, kind of along the kind of the different the different kind of genres as well. I um, think so. Is this the first game that you've been involved in? Is Cosmoctopus your first little baby then? It is. So I've been doing game design for a few years in my mm. spare time. So actually until February this year, I was a um, pediatrician. So that's my my training is that I am oh. a pediatric doctor by, by training. That's what I went to uni to do. That's what I've been doing for eight years since I left uni. Wow. Um, but in my, I say spare time, in the time I could, you know, shoehorn in between my shifts, um, games became kind of a great escape for me and then designing them became something that I became very sort of entrenched in um, and so this is my first one in a professional capacity so yeah. kind of as a developer and project manager and doing those things and so it's been an interesting and fantastic experience for my first game to be given a game by Henry, who's, you know, he's done parks, he's done some big <laughs> yeah. games. It's not like it's not like my first design is by somebody that no one's ever heard of. Um, so it's one of those things that's been a big responsibility, but a great, a great experience. And I'm, I'm having a great time doing it. So yeah, not a bad first one. Did you get out of the career <clears throat> for the sake of your mental health? Because from um, what that's... I can understand, it's pretty nasty out there if you're kind of involved in kind of health services or anything like yeah. that i think that's definitely part of it i think there's there's a number of reasons one of the things is that actually i think i've always been a creative person and i think there's lots of creative people out there that go down a path that you know is not necessarily a creative path and they they mm. see it as that's the thing i do for fun and that's a hobby yeah. um but when i look back in my family my my granddad like my granddad was an art teacher Oh, right. um, my great granddad on the other side was a blacksmith. Dad's an engineer. We've got lots of kind of hands-on, creative, practical things. And I went down a different route, which at the time, like no one forced me to. I yeah. went down that route of my own volition. Um, but actually, the more you kind of do something and look back, I'm, I kind of realized maybe that was more of my passion and the thing that kind of really interests me. And, you know, long hours and not, not seeing your family as much as you'd like to and being away from home, it does start to to accumulate. And so having a job where I can have less of that and more time to to be available to them um, Mm. is a big part of why I did that. Um, And because I love games as well. It's, you know, it's kind of a double whammy. It's it's one that, you know, there were reasons I maybe wanted to leave and there were reasons why I wanted to come to something else, which I was passionate about. Yeah, yeah. Was there a bit... Was there a bit where you kind of like, you did like an Admiral Akbar when you finally like left and you just sat back in your chair, kind of, <laughs> you know, that'll do the job. The job's kind of done. You're like, oh, and now what do I do? Because I've officially kind of, I've now got to make this kind of work. Was there kind of that point at all? The, the, there is. Um, 
the way I did it was a kind of um, I did it in the safest way possible for me, which is that you can actually apply to have a like a year out um, essentially. So right. you come out and you can go and do something else, and then you decide at the end of the time whether you want to go back or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're if you're a trainee doctor, i.e., not a consultant yet, um, you're on kind of a training pathway that has very set steps that usually happen at certain points, mm-hmm. um, and so you have to be given permission to step out of that. For a period of time but it did give me that kind of a year to see how it went yeah. um to see if i could you know do it um and if i can then it gives me a chance to say okay cool yeah i can transition over now with that bit of a safety net of where i can always go back if if something changed or if it went terribly or i actually ended up being really naff at it um mm. so far though thankfully um it's gone really really well it seems to be good okay <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, a it's not bad is it this is you like this <laughs> This is easy. <laughs> you, why go, guys? Why, why, why aren't you all doing? You're all talking about develop. You come on, just this is simple. Lucky Duck Games have come along. You know, I did the good game of the guy from Parks. Um, was it with you being involved in the the protospiel stuff? Yeah, you would have seen kind of games kind of come and go on the playtesting side of things. Yeah. So when you were doing that. Were you kind of what was your what was your role within that? Were you organising the playtesting events? Were you actually getting involved in the feedback? Was it a little of column A, a little of column B? It was a bit of both, really, and I think it was one of those things. So, protospiel for me, the reason I did it, it was actually an accident. Now, not the actual thing happening wasn't an accident. That'd be a very strange accident. But I was actually I was listening to the Game Crafter podcast, which happened for a while, and I accidentally put it from like oldest to newest, like hmm. the wrong order. Yeah. And the one I listened to was how to do a protospiel in the US. Um, and I was like, no one's ever done one in the UK. We have things that are similar, but they're not mm-hmm. quite the same. I wonder why no one's ever done it. And this was actually before I was, if you want to use this term, in the industry. So I was still like just doing this in my own free time and yeah. kind of just working out how to make games. But I thought, well, everyone always says if you want to get involved, do something to kind of give back to the community and fill a kind of gap for something that's that's not been done. So I yeah. thought, well, the only way to find out is to have a go. Um, and so I did have a go and it went really well. And so my role in that was organizer, but also I tested some of my own games there. Yeah, I learned how to do play testing and give feedback and sort of improve my skills from that point of view. So I guess they were all a good basis for what I'm now doing, which is kind of all those skills just amped up, basically. Did that help with you organizing the play testing of Cosmoctopus? Because one of the things I notice is that You'll develop a game and then you'll play it on kind of like a, I was going to say a spider web type way, but an octopus web <laughs> type <laughs> way. And that you'll put a little feeler out to friends and family and say, do you want to try this? And then it'll be like, well, how do I organize getting it out to different to different people? How do I organize getting it to different groups? With it being like that with yourself, were you able to kind of... About I already know how to do this, so did it give you a bit, bit more of a head, you know, a head start in that respect? To a degree, for sure, because I kind of already knew the practicalities of running a playtest, but I also kind of, when I arranged Protospiel, the Nottingham Industry Tabletop Collective, who are basically lots of game designers and and people in in the the tabletop community in Nottingham, hmm. were like, "Who's this guy?" We'd have never heard of this person. He's running a protospiel. <laughs> What's going on? Let's invite him to breakfast because they used to do these breakfasts where he could go and meet everybody. Yeah. And actually, 
I, w- I was so lucky for that to be done. They were so kind to have me because I think that was my kind of, oh, yeah, I actually can talk to people who know how to do these things. Mm. So that gave me some connections. And also more recently, so actually just before um, I started working on Cosmoctopus, I started arranging a um, a monthly playtesting event in Nottingham, which weirdly until we'd done, there was no regular playtesting. Of all the places, Nottingham, you know, is fairly well known because of Games Workshop and, yeah. and other things. From a tabletop point of view, there was nothing regular. And I actually set up a, a regular monthly um playtesting thing with uh connor sherwood who's who's another tabletop designer in nottingham and we now regularly get about 30 to 40 people every month uh, playtesters and wow. designers who come and that's perfect timing for me because actually the first prototype of of cosmoctopus which henry sent me uh, went to the first break my game and here we are uh, many months later with the final pre-kickstarter product now having been played at, at break my game too um, so that was perfect timing from my point of view. Yeah, lots and lots of playtesting happens between me and Henry, um, and between me and whoever else I can, you know, twist their arm to do it. And then obviously towards the the end of the development cycle, you do your blind playtesting. So you basically get people who it's always good to do it with people you don't know because they have no reason to tell you to be nice to you, which is good in a good yeah. in a good way. You know, yeah. they can still be constructive, but they'll be fair. And basically just sending them the rule book and usually tabletop simulator or or if we're in person giving them a copy and saying right off you go i'll be back in a, in an hour tell me what you didn't know and if you don't know the answers try and figure them out basically like yeah. you would if you just bought a game because yeah. you'll find different things that you'll never find by guiding people through because you always as a as a you know hopefully as a you know moderately nice human you want to help people play the game correctly so you will instinctively help people play it and you don't know how much you're doing that until you get yourself out of the situation and let people work it out themselves. So it's been, yeah, this this game's been play tested into the into the dust, but in a good way. Uh, UKG, I think we played. I played. I was teaching two games in parallel for the wow. whole three days for all twelve hours. I think we played 47, 48 games in total just in wow. that few days. So it's been, yeah, it's been put through the ringer in a good way. But to circle back to your original question, yes, I think that having done Protospiel and now Break My Game has put me in good stead to kind of be able to find people and know how to, to play test and develop a game. How did you and Henry start talking then? So essentially, um, we got the the game Cosmoctopus. Henry hmm. actually sort of put it out into the wild for the first time at PAX Unplugged last December. Yeah. And on December the 11th, I know this date last year, um, William Brown, Hungry Gamer, um, he basically sent a picture out on Facebook saying, how does this game not have a publisher? And that was seen by by the team. And we basically then got in contact with Henry. It all got sorted. And very quickly, we realized this was a great game yeah. and got it, uh, got it signed. And then it was kind of, right, me and Henry, here's the prototype. Off we go. Just got to make it a game now, haven't we? Easy. No probs. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all came about via a, a picture from the other side of the world, which is weird, isn't it? I've got to wonder, as obviously a paediatrician, um, mm. do you worry a little bit about William's digestive tract? Because every time I see a picture of that boy on his YouTube, he's always about to polish off himself a board game. Now... I can understand if it is maybe something like, say, that's maybe got wooden meeples and cardboard, but if yeah. he's 
crunching down on a minis game, that's a lot of plastic to go through. So that's true. We're not even talking microplastics there, are we're we? We're not. talking like we're talking macro plastics, tiny swords, yeah, like dinosaurs. A lot of damage going on there. I'm it just thinking. Be. I'm worried. The I'm thing just... I'd be worried is if he's going for like a an escape the dark tower. No, not escape the dark tower. What's the one with the big tower with the lights and things in it? Is that just? Dark? I think it is Return just called the, the dark, dark tower. Return of the dark, a revenge of the dark tower. That's it. Um, the lift well, of the dark tower. <laughs> the revenge of the dark tower would be if <laughs> batteries in there, and William ingests a button battery. Just a little public service announcement out there: Do not ingest button batteries as much as you would like to eat a, a, a boxed game. Please don't do it. They should, uh, but they're one of these things. It's like. You've done it. Now, I'm going to say you've done it, right? It's the little square batteries. And every um, kid in their time has kind of went, and went, oh, oh, that's yeah, quite shocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't do it, kids. The, the, but, the I don't think any kids. Listen, they are very, very Moorish, though. But the button batteries, are they really, really bad? I mean, are they? they are. They're, are they're they? the worst ones. It's because really? they're small. They can uh. go down into your digestive tract, but they also they get stuck to the side. So normal oh. batteries are heavy enough that they'll just pull through, right? Yeah. Um, with a gravity assist, shall we say. Um, however, however, button batteries are so small that when the charge hits skin, it just sticks on. And it'll just stay there until it erodes through, which is bad. You don't want holes in your oh. digestive tract. No, you don't. So, no, you so, don't, definitely yeah, don't want that. As a pediatrician, the word button battery is like a dirty word. They shouldn't exist, in, especially in t- children's toys, in my opinion. But there oh, we go. I'll, I'm go. I'll put my right. off the soapbox. No, 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 no. I want, I want, let's, have, let's have more. Okay. <laughs> Did you ever, ever have to remove a, a Lego from a child's nose in any case? Any small kind of items? The sad thing is that because I was a general pediatrician, if that yeah. kind of thing happened, I would usually, I'm very lucky in Nottingham, we have a, a whole ear, nose and throat surgical <laughs> pediatric got, team. Got no and they would come. That. They'd come with their, you know, their visors and their camera endoscopes and their grabbers and their special, you know, Lego brick removal magnets and, you know, and just hoik it out of there. And they get all the fun. They got all the satisfying noise, you know, they get all of that. I don't get any of that. I just have to say, cool, thanks, lighters. Is there more than one flavour of penicillin or does it always have to taste of banana? Um, banana is, appears to be the the preferred. Well, I say preferred flavour. I imagine the cheapest to manufacture flavour. I could just um, imagine he's all sitting round going like this, going right. Come on, now this is a new one in, guys. Look, that's it. Have a have a go. Have a taste. What's this one? What do we think? Oh, I'm getting. Oh, that's definitely Madagascan banana. Oh, delicious. <laughs> this one's it. this one's frappuccino. <laughs> oh, I think you should try that. I think that's what you should do, different flavours. Or just kind of call them after superheroes. You know, this is oh, like yeah. this is like Iron Man's um, yellow banana laser beams. Or this is the Hulk's banana smash. As long, you can have any flavour at all as long as it's kind of... As long as it's the Hulk smashacillin. I'm going to call it that now. <laughs> Hulk smash. Get his Hulk smashacillin. It'll be neon green and it tastes like... What's a good green flavour? <clears throat> there aren't many good green flavours for kids, are there? Apple, come on. Yeah, apple. Would it taste like apple? We'd say it tastes like apple. and it tastes it's a bit like, bitty. Yeah, it tastes like not what? a good apple. I don't know. I don't know what kind of apple you would have. Like you could just... You could make it like round, like sours. 
Like, see that? Why don't they do that for kids? Why don't they have? I mean, let's face it. Why don't they just? I guess because they've got to make it super sweet, and you're not allowed to make med- medicine kind of super super sweet, are you? You you've got to do it, and it's also because we don't want kids just drinking it for fun. So there is a degree <sighs> of it's meant to taste bad for a reason. Um, it's it's a really weird like thing where you have to make it nice enough, yeah. but not too nice. It's one of the problems with um, antifreeze, right? So the reason <laughs> antifreeze... Here we go. We've got a real segue. <laughs> I, I'm fine with this. You know, this is um, all good. So antifreeze is problematic um, yeah. in its normal form because yeah. it smells sweet and it tastes very sweet because the oh. compounds are in it. So what they have to do is they have to put a thing in it. In, well, generally, in, in most of the brands, they put something in to make it really bitter. So that if a kid starts to drink it, They'll spit it out because it tastes disgusting because it's very, very dangerous. Um, so second PSA of the podcast, don't drink antifreeze. So what you're saying no is if you it. get through the taste, it's actually quite, quite nice. Temporarily, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that that it's a weird one when you're making medicines. You want to make them palatable but not pleasurable? I guess that would be palatable but not really tasty. That's, yeah. that's what we're going for. That's medicine yeah. for you. That I want is. to help you, but we don't want to make it too. I know it's but... like your um, what do you might call it? Your kids' stuff. You know the stuff I'm talking about. They always get yeah. them. You know that the the stuff in the the syringe that's pink and tastes actually tastes of strawberries. Calpol, that's the one. Other other soluble and liquid paracetamols are available. Yeah, but Calpol's like crack. Let's face it. <laughs> Everybody, you know, it's I mean? very that's tasty. why I was trying to avoid naming it because if we talked about it, then like they're going to be coming on and say, "What do you mean it tastes like? It's just like crack? It's very yeah. it's you know Moorish. Kids fall out the tree, and it's like I oh, just give them some Calpol. It'll be fine." It's, okay. it's wonderful. It's uh, it's one of those things that we we use it for a lot of stuff. It it works well. It's uh, it's yeah. It's tasty. I, I think everyone, every child has experienced Calpol. Well, that's not true. The vast majority the of vast children, majority. I think, have have experienced Calpol. They've been on um, the Calpol train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it always to me had a vaguely Red Bull kind yes! of taste to it. Yes. Yeah. Which why yeah, is it always what it is about that? always worked really well with vodka. Yeah. Other caffeinated sports drinks are available. Are available. We're not sponsored by Red Bull. <laughs> It'd be nice if they were. Yeah. Um, with with Cosmo with Cosmo Octopus, we're getting there. Don't spit your yeah, tea well, everywhere. That's not nice. Um, what's it about? Because we obviously we talked about it tastes nice. Yeah. Um, it can't come up the stairs after you very quickly. True. It's reaching across the galaxy towards you. Yep. So if I'm saying to me, how do, how do you play it or what is it? Yeah. Chris, how do you play it and what is it? So uh, Cosmoctopus, as you might guess from the name, is about a celestial cephalopod. Uh, and it is a one to four player engine building tentacle gathering game. That's my like, that's the in. Okay. So, uh, so basically it's a game, uh, what I mean by engine building, for anyone that's uh, not heard that term before, is you're going to start at the beginning of the game getting more cards that make you more powerful to get better cards and combos by the end of the game. So in Cosmoctopus, you basically do three really simple things on your turn, and all the fun comes from having loads and loads of cards that are really powerful and working out how on earth you're going to get them all to like synergize together, basically. Um, so you have... A configuration of tiles in the middle of the table, and this is called the Inky Realm. 
Um, and as we all know, if you go to the bottom of the sea, you will actually pop out in the top of space. It's a well-known fact. Don't look it up. Um, and in between those two places, oh, I know, in between those two places, there is a small plane called the Inky Realm, which is where Cosmoctopus resides. <clears throat> um, and within the gloom of the Inky Realm, you can guide Cosmoctopus around. And you guide him around the Inky Realm, you get a bonus, you take some stuff, you play a card, and then you discard down your hand. And you're just going to do that every turn till someone gets eight tentacles and opens a portal to the inky realm and Cosmoctopus comes through to our realm. Because in this game, you're not doing the usual thing. You're not trying to keep the elder gods away from Earth. You're welcoming welcoming Cosmoctopus with open arms because you're playing as devotees to Cosmoctopus. You want to be the most devoted devotee and prove yourself by doing that. So in a nutshell, it's if you think of your usual, like, Cthulhu-esque things and what you're doing now. It's basically the opposite. We're trying to create problems. Well, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We think it's going to be great when Cosmosopus comes through. You know, he's a giant space octopus. What can go wrong? Uh, but we don't actually know what our fate will be when we when we do that together. It's kind of like, it is kind of like mixing Calpol and vodka then. You have no idea what's going to happen. You just exactly. hope it's going to kind of be, it's going to kind of be nice. Um, how, how different, how different bringing it right back before we get sued um how different is the original game that you and henry first played to the iteration that's going to be hitting the kickstarters i was very lucky because this game came to me in very good shape it wasn't one where i've had to like hammer it over years into into shape it actually came Mm. to me from henry in really good shape both gameplay wise and graphically actually he'd done a really good job of making a game that already felt like it was you know a product to some degree Mm -hmm. um we've mainly spent our time balancing everything and you know after 400 odd plays uh, at least we've kind of been making sure all the values work and there's nothing there's no strategies that we've missed that if you do it you're going to win every time you know Mm -hmm. checking for all of those those broken combos and things and we've worked a bit on the solo mode so there's a there's a solo mode a private investigator who's trying to uh figure out what's going on um and you can also add that private investigator to any multiplayer game which basically means you can play cooperatively if you want to if you want to play together as a group not against each other you have the option Mm -hmm. of going against the private detective Um, and that took a little bit of work just to to get all the cards nailed down and just make it as simple to play with as possible and the main work we've done has been on the kind of the look of the game getting Mm -hmm. the artwork done the graphic design and making Mm -hmm. sure that they're all like really evocative and that they they fit with henry's vision because it came to me this game with so much lore in it already um all of the numbers in the game are Fibonacci sequence numbers. Um, so it's every single card value is a Fibonacci number, which meant it was quite an interesting development challenge because if we needed to balance cards, we had to do yeah. it using certain numbers only, which is quite fun. So I've, I've never thought I'd be having to do that. Um, but there's a few sort of philosophical and maths references in the game, which you don't have to understand to play the game. But he, mm. he clearly put a lot of love into this game. He... He designed it during lockdown and he channeled all of the weirdness and his feelings about what was happening in the world into into this game. And if you obviously look at Parks and then look at this game, there's a significant 
change in uh, in theming um and it's a bit more esoteric and weird and, and that's part of the reason why but i wanted to keep that because it, it, it makes this game so unique that i didn't want to mess about with that too much i think my review of parks that i wrote was is still one of the most viewed reviews that i've ever written and parks was a game that i was just absolutely bedazzled by how it looks. It was a stunning, yeah. stunning looking game. So knowing that, was there was there any pressure on your side to say, okay, because one of the things with Parks was if you took it, if you took everything on a cardboard chip form, it'd be very standard looking. But there was an awful lot of kind of like wooden tokens and little additional pieces that kind of built it up to be this kind of smorgasbord of absolute loveliness. So when it came to looking at kind of Cosmoctopus, was there a little bit of a pressure to say, look, we're going to have to mention the P word on this thing when we're talking about the campaign. Are we going to have to look at the aesthetics? Are they going to be as almost as important as the actual gameplay itself? Definitely. I think there was something we had to consider. I think had we not, it would have been burying our head in the sand to a degree because Parks is well known for being an absolutely beautiful game, stylistically mm. perfect. What's interesting about that game is it was designed the opposite way around to most games. So they, the artwork all existed before the game did. And yeah. actually it was a collaboration between the Parks and yeah. Keymaster Games to do that. So the aesthetics of that game were already kind of fixed and the game was made around that. But it does have a really beautiful, like all Keymaster Games, their production quality and the art quality and things is phenomenal. Yes. Um, and we did have to think about that. And it was treading the line between taking some things that they do really well and giving this a familiarity, especially mm -hmm. with it being one of, of Henry's games, that people who've played his games before will be like, oh, this has got similar components and similar feelings to that, while still keeping it a unique game that was true to his vision of this esoteric, weird and wonderful kind of um, world that he created. Um, so yeah, we definitely did think about that. Um, there are some similarities in the production of the game, though actually, again, the game came to me with certain things which it seemed daft to change. Yeah. The resources in it are wooden-shaped resources, for example, and Parks obviously has really nice wooden resources, and mm -hmm. the tactility of this game is part of the gameplay, so changing that to make it different just for the sake of it would actually have made it worse to play. Yeah. So it was about making decisions with what would, what would work. Um, and... Yeah, creating that world and, and getting that vibe was was really important. And um, George Dutsiopoulos did our front cover and then ended up doing all the rest of the art for, for Cosmo Octopus. Um, mm -hmm. He did Voices in My Head, which is the courtroom um, drama, very caricature kind of front cover. But I saw yeah. he'd done, a, he'd done a, a, a digital painting of a private investigator on his page and it was beautiful it was so well lit and it, like clearly he's a very talented artist for it that i was like i think he could could pull this off um and then he had the challenge of me being like cool so this is about a cult it's probably set but <laughs> we never say it we never really say it. it's probably set in the sort of 50s or around that time um 
And by the way, it's a really cute space octopus. This is a Dumbo octopus. Can you make it like that, but also make it a bit like Baby Yoda? Cheers, thanks. Off you go. Um, <laughs> and that's essentially how our like art specification went, because it was one of those things that we wanted a character that would catch people's attention. And that on the shelf, people would be like, "What? what's going on there? Like, what is this creature? Um, and that was from the very beginning, something we wanted to to sort of to have as part of the, the product for it to be an interesting color palette to draw you in with a character and make you pick it up. Because it's so important when it goes into retail for someone to pick that box up on the shelf just to have a look at it. That's the first hurdle you've got to get over. So we're trying to do that by using a giant space octopus that's cute. <laughs> Standard, you know, use the standard ways of doing things, right? I think, yeah. I mean, if you're going to get, like, kind of noticed, I think a space octopus, I'm surprised that more things don't have kind of space octopuses on them. Exactly. Um, with regards to kind of, like, being striking and even getting the kind of the word out, how, how have you found it in terms of the kind of the marketing? I mean, getting the word out, getting the name, because you've, I've seen... I've seen it. I'm on kind of Lucky Ducks press release email stuff. So I've seen an email out from them saying, look, here's this game. It's going to be coming out. But has it also been yeah. quite, has it been pretty interesting for you to try and get the game out there, the word out there yourself? And has that brought yeah. any challenges? It has been. It has been quite tricky. It's one of those things that um, as a first game from a small publisher, it's always tricky because you don't have your big email list that you can rely on to be like, cool, we've got a second game. Anyone want to get on board? You're yeah. working from, from the ground up. We have been lucky that obviously it's a striking enough game that once you start getting the, the word out there, people kind of recognize it and they talk about it. And I think that's been really one of the key things with Cosmoctopus. I like to, if I'm going to talk about a game, I don't want to be someone that comes into a group and goes, look at this game I've made. Here's the Kickstarter link. Off we go. I would rather kind of get people involved in the process and actually say, you know, here's my first really rubbish sketch of the art cover that then went to George and he made it beautiful. <laughs> and I find that a much more kind of, yeah, it's, it's a genuine want to share like a, an improvement with people. If it also has the side effect of people being interested in the game, then that's great. But you know, you've got to be careful with marketing because it's not my job to go and tell people what to buy. It's, you know, I want to suggest we've made a good game and people want to buy it, but I don't want to come across as being forceful when I'm doing that. Um, but you also have to be. You have to be to some yeah. degree. You have to push it, otherwise no one ever knows about it. It's a really difficult line to tread, and it's one that I'm, you know, I've never done marketing before. Strangely enough, marketing in medicine, not not really a big thing um <laughs> not in this country anyway i was um, gonna i was gonna say that there's an interesting tie in between you kind of being kind of from the uk and kind of being i'm not sure about the marketing to being on the other side of the pond because if you were on there i find like the people that i've spoke to that are from the states have less shame when it comes to basically kind of kind of selling themselves and them saying, oh, and also, would you like to buy this blueberry-flavoured paracetamol for kids? Because <laughs> <We've got laughs> that would be American. around over there. And it's a... true. And I think part of it is your personality. But yeah. I have, you know, it's one of the things I'm learning ways to do it. Um, mm. 
We've been very lucky that Henry's name is attached to this because that does help pull, yeah. pull people in, but it's not a guarantee. Um, the fact that we've got this kind of character which has this sort of potential for people to just be drawn in by is really great. But also we've had a lot of people who they've played the game and they've been really like vocal about the fact that they've enjoyed it, especially. So I went to Essen in the end. I wasn't actually meant to be going to Essen, but yeah. Lucky Duck, Lucky Duck signed the game just before, and they were like, "Do you want to come and demo at our booth at Essen?" And I wasn't going to say no to that. <laughs> yeah, because I remember emailing you. Because I got that's when I got the email, and I remember emailing you going, "Um, you're not going to be here next week, are you? You're going to be like, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry about be, that. Yeah, that was, my, that was my that was my calendar <laughs> clashes. <laughs> I might be because Essen. it wasn't planned." No, it was fine. It was seriously fine because I thought, hmm. I was actually wondering, and this is honest, like when Lucky Duck kind of started to announce it, I was wondering if it was going to be like, if they were going to take it on and the next thing you would do, there would be like a, an actual campaign coming from them. So for you to say you're still doing the Kickstarter campaigns a bit surprised because I think they've also moved over to, I think they might be courting a bit of game found as well i think i think i don't know if their last chronicle stuff was moved on to game Found. i know that their upcoming upcoming <clears throat> destinies which would i think it's called is on game found i think yeah. actually it launches on game found the same day as cosmox plus does on kickstarter so i'm kind of glad of that in a way because you know they're very different games i mean you know yeah. the, the crossover is probably small and um, but yeah they do so they they have some of their own games and then obviously they sign games from other publishers so mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that I kind of, I would have had mixed feelings if they'd have said to me, we'll do the Kickstarter together because I've put a lot of work into to getting it to this point and I almost want to kind of see the whole thing through. Yeah. And I know that it would have been, you know, it probably would have been a great thing, but actually I'm learning so many skills doing this that I kind of want to do the whole thing. My, I, I want to go through the whole, yeah, yeah, like from the start to the finish myself because there's something I think, quite nice about that sort of indie kind of like get stuck in roll your sleeves up coffee at 2 a.m answering kickstarter comments which i'm sure is in my near future um (laughs) kind of vibe um which i'm i'm kind of i want to do i i want to commit to it and do it um but yeah they do some of their own their own things as well um but yeah the going to essen thing was was last minute but what was so nice was it was so well received at essen um people were there so I, I demoed half the day so afternoon from two till close which is seven yeah. and there were people there on the second third day sitting at the table waiting when i turned up to play the game oh, that's cool. because they'd gone past or they'd heard of it or they'd mm. done that um and then people were very vocal and they got back on bgg and on twitter saying that you know they discovered this game at essen they loved it and they want to play it again they couldn't stop thinking about it and i think for me that's the best kind of marketing show someone a game that's good and let people talk about themselves. Obviously yeah. that unfortunately you can't just do that because games will never get made that way. But yeah. for me, that's the best for me to say, look at what this other person says. Don't listen to me. Listen to other people who don't have any stake in telling people that it's, that it's a good game. Um, and then we've also got a backer kit helping us with marketing as well. So then you, I'm starting to learn about how all that works and how the, the marketing machine works and all these abbreviations I've never heard of before about like, you know, return on ad sales and yeah. cost per lead and all this stuff, which again is not a world I've ever been involved in really. Yeah. It seems to be a, like a bigger monster. I've seen more, I think guys that have no exposure to anything 
struggling on Kickstarter now than kind of before. I think there was always the potential for people to be able to kind of go from a standing start to start running. But now there's so many more campaigns where it's like, if they've not got that little boost, like you guys have got through like Lucky Duck or, you know, working with Henry, the name behind everything behind it, that I see them kind of going, oh, I didn't realise it's much more difficult. And I think there starts to be a little bit more upfront capital that needs to be sunk in by these people going to Kickstarter, which Mm. for me is like, are we going to end up with Kickstarter version two from someplace with somebody saying, oh, we are actually going to help you kind of get started from the kind of the very beginning well we kind of i don't know we'll we'll just have to we'll just have to kind of see um in terms of the pricing have you decided on kind of pricing for the various tiers and have you also got a launch date yes we have so the launch date is tuesday the 25th of october um and it'll be going live at what will be 4 p.m in the uk It'll be 8 a.m. Pacific time, so I'll get people as they wake up. Um, and I think it's 11 a.m. Eastern time, so it mm. kind of it's one of those. It's guided by what things do well. So that'll be that'll be on the 25th of October. From a pricing point of view, we're actually keeping it nice and simple. There is actually a one physical pledge level for people that want to get involved in this game. We wanted to keep it true to the kind of core Kickstarter ethos of if you back this game, you're going to get the best game we can make at Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be 39 of your Great British Pounds for the, the game, and that'll include all the Kickstarter exclusives um, and then all the stretch goals and everything that we that we unlock. Um, there is also a print and play tier for people who want to absolutely rinse their printer. Um, that will be available. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people that do print and play, and it's a great community, and I really want to support it. And if they say they want one, then I'm going to make one for them. Um, Are you going to do STL files in? Is there actual little miniature kind of octopus, octopi, octopuses? So it's arms? octopuses, weirdly. I thought it was Octop- octopi, but it's octopuses, apparently. Oh, I know, okay. it's weird. Um, so, no, on the print and play, we're going to have uh, standee proxies for the tentacles and the octopus heads, just because... Um, Releasing STLs into the wild can be a bit of an interesting uh, environment. Uh, when they're when they're gone, they're gone, right? I don't have mm. any control over yeah, yeah, yeah. where they end up. And actually, we've got to be careful for doing future print runs and things like that. That we have those files ourselves, and um, so there will be proxies for those. But the print and play pledge is eight pounds. So oh, hey, cool. if you pay eight pounds and you can print, you can make it all for eight pounds plus your ink costs and things. Um, so and we want to keep it simple basically so you can come and join the cosmoctopus community we're all going to be working together to make this the best game that's possible um and everyone gets all the upgrades if you're in on the kickstarter plus we have got cosmocta plushies because who doesn't want the world's largest celestial cephalopod in plushy form um so that's something else that we're, we're offering to people where is it where is it? Do you, want, do you want me to go and get it? Actually, I can show you on this. Yes, I want you to go and get it. Second, I I'll cannot it. I see. It in this, oh, actually, it's in this room. It keeps my wife company when she's at work. Here we go. Oh, here we go. I'm going to bring it in. I want slowly. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, 
dun 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 that's amazing <laughs> so this is the prototype one uh which has been hand stitched uh, by our friends uh at the manufacturers um so we're actually anyone that backs in the first 48 hours is going to get that for free going to get a cosmot plushie for free um <laughs> that's amazing i mean yeah. like that is just that's yeah, so it's, cool. it's really cute it's also very like it's got that kind of suede velvet texture where you can draw on it and then you can wipe it back all so in the same so you can direction. draw like a little smiley face on its little it's face very when sensory it's, it's very sensory that's i might do a competition with who can give it the best facial hair that would be <laughs> it's just so, like an octopus so yeah. with a beard there we go who knows that's it's very fantastic. gloomy in space maybe cosmoctopus does have a beard and we just can't see it who knows? Um, so yeah, we're doing that, and then people can still buy them as add-ons later on. But just a little thank you for people jumping on board early, um, and we can fill the whole world with cosmoctoplushes, armies of them. That's the ultimate aim. That right? ultimately kind of starts to sound a little bit evil when you're saying we're going to be filling the world with yeah. armies of them because you're kind of doing that kind of are they evil? Are they not evil? Well, kind of thing. It's like we never, you know, in this game. You're just playing as members of a group of like-minded individuals with singular focus. And that's the only word that we're going to use. And we're not going to use any other words like cult no. or any of those things. It's a group of like-minded individuals with singular focus, which is an octopus that lives in space. That could be dealing with something absolutely evil. But there you go. You'll have to you'll have to check out the game if you want to if you want to know more. Yeah. If people do want to check out the game and do want to know more where do you exist on the internet webs mr kings north <laughs> so um paperfort games uh, if people just go at paperfort games on most of your social medias you'll find us um, right. if you actually just type cosmoctopus game into google you will find the bgg page and the kickstarter page as one of the top four results that comes up because believe it or not there's not many things called cosmoctopus out there um you can sign up for our mailing list at paperfortgames.com or you can find me as tabletop apprentice on instagram uh, and shout out to me if you want to know anything or have any questions answered um yeah that's the best places to find us especially the question how quick does an octopus run up the stairs Chris is aware no. of he's keeping that answer to himself. Though. What I might do is I might find out that answer. And if I can find the answer, I'm going to make you a promise. If I can find the answer or you can find the answer and you send it to me, I'm going to put that in the FAQs of the Kickstarter. <laughs> I think that has to be done. That has That's to be the done. deal. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. What we'll do is we'll take all of the links and we'll put them in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. Um, Thank you. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the Googles, search for We're Not Wizards, and you'll find us in all the places, um, the worn-out faces, bright and early for the daily races. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. We've got a little private group, right? Ooh. We don't have many people that are in the private group, and I like it because there's these private groups that have got, like, hundreds of people, and I've got, like, a small schmackle of, like, very lovely people that are in this private group, and... You know, it's nice. But we've also got the public group on Facebook. We've got our Instagram, we've got our Twitter, we've got um, YouTube. <clears throat> um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, then go to your podcast cast or cast thingy of choice and drop us a rating or a review. If you go into the big Apple iTunes place, 
and you are going to be giving us a rating or a review. Don't give us 10 stars because it makes me big-headed like a cephalopod. Um, <laughs> uh, don't give me one star because it makes us cry uh, like a cephalopod that's crying. Uh, give us something in the middle, like five, because <clears throat> it's average and uh, I'm just a little bit average. But the person's not being average. Is the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, is the man... The regal man who's not on the east, west, or the south is <laughs> a man who towers above everyone else with his eight arms covered in suckers. It's it's Chris Kings North. Don't Thank know where I was going with that. Thank you very, That's very fun. much for coming on. Thank um, you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. There's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Chris? No. No. Are we? Don't no. Even, no. What? No. Never heard of it. How dare you? We're cosmic things with beaks. That's what we are. Yes. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Chris. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes. And um, uh, I've run out of prey to the Calabari king of uh, disaster who's about to come through a portal and uh, feed you strawberry-flavoured penicillin, whether you like it or not. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. He arrives precisely when he means to.